Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's program. Well, friends, we have been in the book of Philippians. We finished chapter one last week, and what a blessing this book is. It's so full of quotes, it's so full of great material. I challenge you to find a small book so packed with such good information for us to grow in our spiritual life. Well, today we begin chapter two. And again, the setup going back to the beginning of the book is written by the Apostle Paul, first church in Europe, it was a detour from Acts chapter 16. The first members were maybe not the dream team you would plant a church with, with a blue-collar centurion, a businesswoman from Asia, and a demon-possessed girl. We also saw a lot of great teaching. You see Paul's fondness for this church, as they have obviously uh, have an intimate relationship with him. And his iconic words, he who began a good work in you was faithful to complete it was uttered the first part of chapter one. As we move through that first chapter, he calls us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the direct foundation upon which chapter two is going to continue on those themes. As chapter one ends and chapter two begins, we're pivoting just a little bit in our thematic material, but of course it all rests upon the foundation that was laid in chapter one. We're going to jump into chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 this week, and this is some powerful information. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Well, my goodness, four verses, and that could not be a more meaningful, powerful, and possibly countercultural statement considering our present circumstances. Let's break this apart. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being in full accord in one mind. Friends, that is a tall order. Can you even think of a friend or family member that you are of one mind, one love, one accord with, that you agree with, that you work well with? I hope you do. And I hope your church looks that way on things that matter. But this calling We are to understand what the focus of our faith is to be. And friends, that's not us. It should be Christ. As you read the passage, you can't help but ask, can't we just get along? Why is it so hard for human beings, let alone believers, just to share the same values and share the same heart and purpose in life? There's so many times that it should be easy for us as Christians to all get on board with the same 
attitude, but it's harder than it looks. We all come with our baggage and our backgrounds and our temperaments and our past experiences that have shaped us and molded us. And while our conversion and our faith gives us a commonality that we can leverage to work through these issues, it really takes the work of the Holy Spirit, frankly, to help believers work together selflessly and achieve unity. In these first few verses of chapter 2, you see several words that come out that are very important. Starting in verse 1, you get three or four of them. You got consolation, love, fellowship, and compassion. If you break those down in consolation, you have encouragement, you know, whether that's for the negative of consoling someone or comforting someone, also strengthening and helping someone move forward in their faith. That is a very important aspect, which is rooted in love. In the Greek, the word love is so much richer than our one word in America that what does it even mean? I love my dog. I love my car. I love my wife. But in the Greek, it breaks into much more descriptive terms of brotherly love or unconditional love. And that's the love of which they speak. But of course, the encouragement is so important in, in this as well. So again, consolation, love, fellowship. Again, that brotherly love or that friendship love. As believers, we're called to be together, to support one another. And we're not meant to do this alone. Obviously, we have the counsel of the Holy Spirit. We have our spiritual disciplines. But when we come together as the body of Christ, as the church, it helps us grow together, gives us accountability, allows us to not stray. And again, sometimes we take turns. One person is strong and helps the weaker person. And at times, the stronger person becomes weak and the roles exchange. But that relationship is so crucial to the Christian faith because it just adds that extra dimension. It gives us people to support and to encourage and to pour into and it is one of the richest gifts that we have in this life. And then, of course, compassion. Friend, if you don't have any compassion, it's very difficult to get along with anyone and to make a difference on this planet. Compassion allows us to meet people where they are and help to get them where they need to be. We have to have standards, but compassion allows us to help bring people to those standards from where they are. It also allows us to help hurting people move forward past circumstances in their life that can block their faith and get them on the wrong path. Again, in those verses, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, going to verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Again, when we get to verse two and three, we start talking about humility and concern for other people's joy. And eventually we're going to talk about controlling our self-interests and making sure that God is at the center of the relationship, not ourselves. True biblical fellowship is not about a transactional relationship. And friend, let me just tell you the truth. Coming to, to church 
for a season of life just to kind of be loved on and be put back together. Those are good things. But if that is the sole motivation for coming to some kind of religious experience, they rarely stick. Most times people come for a season, they get better, and they leave. And that's very painful. It's very painful for believers who invest in those people, who want to see them grow in a discipleship process when most of what they wanted was just, again, a little attention, a little compassion, and on their way. So be mindful of that, but at the same time, that's where that final piece comes together. It's talking about consolation, love, fellowship, compassion, concern for another person's joy, humility. These are all excellent traits, and these are all godly traits that we're called to. Verse 4, let each of you look not on your own interests, but also the interests of others. And do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. These are incredibly countercultural statements, but they're absolutely necessary for there to be a, a family of faith. If you're just coming as a means of self-interest, then your stay is going to be short. And frankly, you're probably going to hurt some people along the way. But when you can adopt that feeling of humility, you're able to inspire others, you're able to serve God in the way that he deserves to be served, and we're moving forward. Tim Keller actually breaks the words apart in the Greek to talk about the difference. When he's talking about selfish ambition, the word is kenodoxia, which is the doxa in the Greek is glory. The same word is used in our word, the doxology, which means the glory goes to God. But kenodoxia means the glory goes to us. And this is really the heart of the matter when it comes to this passage. Who gets the glory in your life? And who is worthy of the glory? Paul is warning against those of us who seek our own fortune, seek our own glory, our own fame, our own renown, are basically destined for disappointment. We will also have a tendency to break fellowship because a church can never be a body of believers if every member is interested in its own self-interests. At some point, something has to give. And when you see Paul breaking this apart, just in these four short verses, he's setting the tone for this wonderful church of which we gain so much inspiration and direction from the Philippian church because they exhibit these qualities. These four verses set the tone that allow us to have biblical fellowship and to fellowship with God as well. Because again, when you're thinking of yourself all the time, it always edges God out of your relationship and it causes hurt. It causes loss of purpose loss of opportunity to serve, and it is an inferior existence. But when you have the heart of humility, don't think of yourself as better than others, but consider the needs of others over your own. If everyone does this, it creates a community that's going to thrive and grow in maturity 
and do things the right way. Again, the difference between kenodoxia and doxology could not be any bigger. Friend, what does your life look like today? Are you about your own glory? Or are you seeking the glory, the one worthy of our devotion and the one who is worthy of our worship? What a man thinks about God says everything about him or her. And that is the important thing that I'm leaving you with today. For you to pursue your own glory over God's means that you have a small view of God. As you search scriptures, as you seek him out as for who he is, I pray this week that God's glory will be evident to you. He will be able to help you have proper perspectives and priorities because they're rooted in him. Our priorities and our needs and our achievements and our personal acclaim are temporal. They'll be gone tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. Who won a Grammy last year? Who won the Super Bowl last year? We forget in a minute. But when we live our life for God, every little part of our life, every act of worship in our ethics, in our service, in our life for him, in our personal disciplines, all take on an eternal significance because they're serving the eternal, powerful God. When you view God for who he really is, it'll change your life. Friend, I encourage you to take this, apply it, make sure that you are living a life of humility, building a church family that is humble and servant-like and not about a bunch of people trying to get their own way or their own renown. When we align our purposes and our plans to God's, our life takes on meaning and purpose and we're able to make a real difference. Thank you for joining me today and I'll see you next time on Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.